Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cinematic Underdogs. I am your host, Jordan Puga. And I'm your other host, Paul Keelan. And we're here today doing Hard Knocks again. We're pretty much on the Hard Knocks train lately. This time, I would say we're doing not Hard Knocks, though, but we're doing the Aaron Rodgers show because (laughs) Hard Knocks preseason with the Jets basically, to me, turned into the Aaron Rodgers show. Um, Just to shoot things right off the bat into the air, what were your initial takes from this season of Hard Knocks? First initial takes, the first episode was underwhelming. Cliche, um, but not in a good way because you kind of like Hard Knocks kind of thrives on those cliches and has made those cliches into like staples that you come for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the things I like in this season, we'll talk about this more. We'll kind of use this as a, as a as a bullet point list, I guess, for our discussion, though. There's no like real rookie initiation in this one, which I really like about Hard Knocks. It was too focused on, like you said already, like pumping tires on Aaron Rodgers, like reinforcing why we pick this one over all the other stories. And it's a, it's an obvious, like, you know, low-hanging fruit, get get Aaron Rodgers. But we've already covered um the Detroit Lions, and we we talked really heavily about how much we like that and all these other you know previous seasons. I wasn't wowed at all with this one. I just think it didn't live up to what it could be, right? But like I said, this narrative is a cool narrative. Um, they just didn't really like it didn't flourish into anything. Um, it flourished into exceptional television. I think that's the one thing that kind of kind of bugged me about this one. Whereas when we watched that Lions one, every week there was something to kind of like take away that kind of stuck with you. And this one, there's not a lot that really stuck with me. Yeah, this one felt like like it was on cruise control. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it was hard because it had a lot of pre-made narratives. Like it felt like the show was somewhat overinflating Aaron Rodgers, but also like the media was overinflating the story as well. Uh, the New York Jets fans, because they've sucked for so long, uh, they have like a sort of delusional inferiority complex, mm-hmm. um, and it almost feels like karmic in a in a dark humor like black comedic sense that he's four plays into the season finally they have their their quarterback of the franchise for the first time in decades and he goes out for the year with the achilles tear so to start off with the first episode is obviously apropos but it's hard not to now see this season because we have the privilege of seeing it in this time frame in hindsight of what happened in that first game it like changed the whole context of the season i almost had to like rethink what hard knocks was because so much of the narrative was a hype machine, right? It was building up for this epic jet season and they've just been abysmal for so long. I mean, the first thing we see when Aaron Rodgers shows up is him pointing out that there's a lonely Lombardi trophy, right? They have one Lombardi trophy and you get a lot of like history of the the jets, which I appreciated. You get like some of the bill Parcells clips, um, you get, uh, I forget what they had one great player back in the day. I think that won them that Lombardi trophy, a, a total icon, but I'm forgetting his name. Uh, and they, they, they do shout out to him. So, you know, you kind of get steeped in the culture of this team, uh-huh. of this fan base, of this community. And you get this idea that there's this fervor, there's this sense that we're actually back. And they had all the pieces in place last season, except for one, the most important one the quarterback. And so they got their quarterback a little over the hill, in my opinion, but obviously a seasoned veteran who knows how to win. Mm. And you could just sense it. At least I did. I could sense I had a foreboding feeling that like they are too excited. This is too much of like this dream come true. Something is going to happen. I even tweeted, I promise by halfway through the season, Rogers will be on the bench 
and Zach Wilson will be starting. <laughs> I did not expect it to be four plays into the season. Five seconds into the season. <laughs> yes. And I didn't expect it to be a, a season ending injury. Yeah. And that sucks. But it was this idea. I, maybe it's just like inner schadenfreude or something. <laughs> but like, I actually feel f- and have empathy for the fan base. So I don't want to see them hurt. But like this feeling of like, you always say the Chargers are going to charge You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, there's these like teams that have this narrative they can't just can't surpass. escape, right? Yeah, and I just felt it. I felt it. I felt it was inevitable. Yeah, and- I'm kind of with you on that because even watching the first episode, they go over this play, which is a cool play. Aaron Rodgers throws it across the field, like back shoulder, right? Great catch mm-hmm. to Garrett Wilson. But they go to the defensive room after that, right? And they're breaking it down, and it's kind of a moment to actually like praise the defense a little more, right? Because if you look at it, like the defense did everything right in that in that play, right? And Aaron Rodgers, you know, still made the play, right? But instead of using it as like a teaching moment for the defense, right? They try to pump the team up like this is our quarterback. Like we got, and it's like a twofold thing, right? It's for the audience because it's a great scene for the audience, totally. It's for the team, but it's like the wrong team. It's the defense's side. It's the, you know, you, that's for the offense. And it comes into such big play, like you said, in week one, because obviously week one, like when Aaron Rodgers went out, Mike, it's all, I'm rooting for that Jets defense. Those players, we got to see them and butcher their names right now. We'll have to look them up though. Um, Karkuchi boy, right? All those dudes, like the defense is great. They're the, the, them and their love of Broadway, right? I was rooting for them, and the fact that they pulled through, um, and you get that win in overtime, right? Like it's kind of like it's like these. Well, we need to see more of these other players, right? In hard knocks, less of Aaron Rodgers. And that was the reason why was like, yeah, it's cool. We got Aaron Rodgers. We also got a fucking awesome defense, right? And that story wasn't highlighted enough, right? The other side, like it, it was there, right? They kept talking about, you know, we got that piece last season. Our defense is right now. We have this. But it didn't really do enough job of like making the defense seem like a spooky specter you don't want to go against. Um, that's something like you know I think they could have massaged into a little, a little more than just always going back to Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers talking to people and then telling him I was like seven or ten when I saw you and all that and him kind of kind of taking it taking a chip on the shoulder for him which which is a good look but that was so much of this of the first two episodes was a lot of that a lot of Aaron Rodgers kind of putting on airs kind of having to just be like very polite to all these people he's meeting for the first time. Uh, but I definitely want to see more of the defensive stories. And that's kind of what hard knocks is usually about is like, you know, we have all these stars, but the stars aren't the focus, right? We get these other side stories. And I think this one is lacking in that. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think a good barometer of where it faltered for me uh, is the last episode when they did the cuts. And once again, this is funny because their first game of the season, Monday Night Football, the player who doesn't get cut and actually gets featured really strongly in that piece as a, I don't know if he's a walk on, I don't know what to call him, but he's undrafted. He ends up, you know, on the practice squad and earns a spot on the team. He has the punt return in overtime, walk off win. team jumps on him. It's this huge, great moment. Right. Uh Um, And it's fun. Cause like immediately I'm texting my dad and being like, Oh, this is awesome. He was like featured on hard knocks heavily as a, you know, a player from a small college and there's like this duo, right? He teamed up with another player from a small college to like push himself, you know, and that was kind of a cool. Was uh, that one Xavier Gibson, right? Xavier Spider Gibson, Seamer, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah they're yeah. like buddies. Yep. And they had a very cool partnership and it's a feel good story. But what I was going to say was, I don't feel like they slowly built them up throughout the five episodes or whatever leading up to that last episode. Whereas in the Detroit Lions one, by the time we got to those cuts, I felt like I had truly come to know all those players. Like they really did a good job on the Lions one of distributing the attention throughout it. 
and slowly like seeing the whole cohesive picture, even if it's kind of hard because they're actually like releasing an episode, filming and then releasing an episode in real time. Mm-hmm. One of the funny things about this show is there's often commentary about previous episodes in the show. That's how topical it is. That's how fast these episodes are recorded, cut, edited, woven together and released, right? The Carcucci board that you mentioned. <laughs> he was one of the one- players that we actually did, I think, develop an affinity for. Yeah. And he was he was fun and interesting and he gets injured in the last game. I thought he was probably one of the more both endearing and enticing and intriguing stories of any of these players because yeah. he was on the chopping board and you see like any other player in any other position would sit out the rest of that game. Churchy mm. boy. Yes. What's his name? Kenzel Smart. Yeah. Tantel Smart. Yeah, exactly. Smart. No, you're right. It's Tantel. Um, and he got cut, but he ended up getting hired to be on the squad, practice right? side. Yeah. So, you know, he's got a paycheck. He's got a young child and you, you see a lot of his wife and child mm-hmm. at the game rooting for him and you're, you're stoked. It's a good story. Yeah. He seems like a nice guy. It's also the, one of the things that again, lacks because that was the one where they, this season, they didn't show any of the people who got cut, like the footage of the conversation and mm-hmm. they have history. Like, yeah, he made the practice squad, but that's kind of the perfect one to have the conversation and see what went down. Like, cause we've seen those other conversations in previous seasons where guys like him are like, look, you didn't make the team, but we're still impressed. If you don't make waivers, we're going to snatch you, right? And that changes the conversation of like when you leave that room and those shots and what you know what those mean. And I think it's a, it's a pretty big part of the story. And I, I get why, I guess some people don't like to see that, the, it's too negative or whatnot, but that's a big part of the hard knocks, right? Is, you know, seeing those who didn't make it and them accept criticism. And sometimes some of them don't accept criticism. It's very rare, but like, you know, see that them make that profession to the next one. Like, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Blah. How he kept showing up and seeing his progression, right? He had to have those conversations on camera a lot. But again, it really makes you respect him, fluctuate him more, remember that quarterback. Like I said, David Blah, remember him. I'm not going to really remember, unfortunately, Tanzel Smart, I don't think, until the next one. Like, you know, the next one's going to kind of erase it, I think, unfortunately, because I don't think they really got to know anyone very well in this one. Um, That's going to go back to also kind of maybe lead us to the rookie presentation thing, right? It's always viral. What is it called? Like the rookie show that they Mm -hmm. do? Uh, and this year they just dropped the ball. That's kind of what I felt was like the whole thing on Hard Knocks this year is like, you know, getting what you're used to and then just kind of like dropping the ball within. The rookie one was really, really disappointing. I don't know what your thoughts are on that one. Well, like there's a guy with a mullet. I don't even know his name. Some white dude with a mullet. He must be like a linebacker or offensive line or defensive lineman because he's a big dude. Um, and I remember just seeing him with the group that gets booed off and everyone's like throwing papers at them. Uh-huh. They're just terrible. Every time they do one of those performances, and what's funny is like usually when like a professional player is terrible and they're getting booed off, they kind of like smile, you know, it's kind of like they're kind of coy and they're they're blushing, but they're kind of like basking in the humiliation to a degree because uh-huh. there's a self-awareness that I stuck at this. But like he looked truly mortified and I found that kind of funny. It doesn't necessarily make like great TV, though. I'm talking about like I'm reading yeah. the nuances of this of the shot. Yeah, um, they did have the the white kid, another kind of undrafted walk-on that they tried to build a storyline around who did the Eminem cover from 8 Mile. I gotta ask you, what'd you think of that cover? Uh, overrated. Okay, I'm with you yeah. on that. <laughs> but uh, but not that bad. It was. I'm, uh-huh. I'm glad that like he did the whole thing and then at the very end when he went acapella, I think they showed in the credits. I was impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the whole thing was mainly acapella, but like he definitely seemed like a likable person as well who worked hard. I, you know, his parents seemed like they were on edge when he was in the games. Yeah. They, do, they did show him like, oh, he needs to catch a big pass here 
in the final um, drive, for example, which is kind of like overblowing how they pick players. Like they don't really pick a player based on the preseason game because you catch a touchdown pass per se. It would help a little, Mm -hmm. but I felt like the way they framed that was actually kind of misleading and facetious because like someone else gets a touchdown. So the way they spun it as a viewer, especially like a, an untutored or an unlearned viewer who doesn't know much about football might think that he just didn't get on the team because of a fluke missed opportunity. Someone else got the pass, not even anything of his own doing, of his own agency, of his own autonomy. But that's that's really besides the point. That is a false way to sort of shape it. And I felt like they kind of did, which bummed me out. Um, but I agree. I think their main problem was like, we had moments with players. I'll say this. We had moments of fun, of giddiness, of spectacle, of entertainment, the Carcucci, going to the Broadway show. Broadway is fun. Um, uh, yeah, a little side thing with Sauce Gardner, where he uh, is hanging out with Nick Van Axel at some event. We have a lot of celebrities on set again. We have Method Man and Tiki Barber. We'll get to the voice of God. That'll be a whole thing. But my point here is we have great individual moments, but I don't feel like they truly do the character work or character building for enough of the players that by the end, you feel like you went on any sort of journey with them or trajectory with them. So the composite was okay. Like, I feel like I got a really decent understanding of the essence of the Jets. Um, And I felt like it really inflected my viewing of the first game of the season. And I saw all of their DNA on the field and understood them on a very visceral level or like a meta level, maybe is a better way to put it when I was watching that first Monday night football game against the Bills. Mm. But as a show, I, I I definitely think that there was a little uh, uh, an ingredient that just wasn't there. And I think it has to do with not enough of the peripheral side stories, like not enough of like scenes with players in the hotel room with their parents or going shopping for cowboy boots. I'm alluding to the Lions yeah. one. You know what I mean? Those moments, I think, are quite critical. I remember like Aiden Hutchinson, there's a bunch of scenes with him and his family sitting on like lawn chairs outside their Michigan home. Yeah shooting this shit about football. Uh, that's the stuff that you need to pad. Um, you could talk about the Arizona Cardinals and uh, Buda Baker and his sister going to ASU or sitting on the couch after a game or even Colt McCoy with his family throwing football in the backyard. Uh, just like the little moments off the field, I think were largely cut to get more Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. <laughs> kind of understand it. I, I get it, but I think that it, it undermined what I kind of love the most about this mm-hmm. running series. Yeah. Like I, I was hoping to see more of Dalvin cook. That was like a pretty big trade that they got. There's an interesting like storyline between him and uh, is it Brees, right? As a running back who's you know, came right off the injury reserve. As soon as Dalvin cook got signed, he's like back in practice. They didn't touch that at all, or even try to frame any competitiveness or friendly competition. But like, there's some easy shots there that, like you said, are just like missing. Um, of what I thought was, you know, a, a big part of why the New York Jets are worth watching. Like, again, all these names are getting like Randall Cobb was another one who's really cool in this. I love seeing him and his kid and like the I forgot they call themselves the Cobb, whatever. I forgot their family name, but they're so awesome. Like his kid's so adorable and like, you know, mm-hmm. really into into daddy's play. Daddy's a football player and Aaron Rod, Uncle Aaron. Right. That was, that was another cool thing. Seeing that yeah, Uncle Aaron is. And weirdly, I was I weirdly Randall Cobb humanized Aaron Rodgers more. I'm just having his his wife and him talk about, you know, Aaron Rodgers comes and hangs out. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a member of this family kind of thing. That was what was missing was more of that. Like you yeah. said, those those inter- intricate moments with like the family, 
um, the extended family and all that stuff coming up. But a lot of what we talked about with quarterbacks, honestly, is what quarterbacks kind of excels now. They kind of took what Hard Knocks was usually doing, really, you know, flush that out more or flush that out more. But yeah, there's the one I was thinking also was Coach Sella or Sela. I always pronounce his name wrong. I always butcher it, right? He's a coach I really respect, really like, you know, great mind. But I didn't really leave this with anything new about him or finding out anything about him, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seemed like a really big missed opportunity. Like with Cliff, like we learned all sorts of stuff about him. Um, with the Lions coach, like that was, you know, game changing with that one. I, again, I just felt like it was a big missed opportunity to really highlight the mind behind the team, right? Because that was a big acquisition in this franchise is getting him to be a coach. And, you know, the one of the reasons Aaron Rodgers wants to go here is, you know, is that is that defensive mind. So, I've, again, I feel like there's a lot of bigger, like, side stories that just were not even, like, on the radar, which is unfortunate. Because like, there's just, like, too much of this verifying that Aaron Rodgers can still play. I think that was the other thing is every episode we have to have some sort of, like, the episode we have is the one where everyone on the team is doing the no-look pass, right? Which is very much just a way of saying Aaron Rodgers can play, like, Patrick Mahomes in the next generation without saying it, right? He's doing it, too. Uh, but the way they frame it is they're making it look like he's like the best no-look passer, you know, ever. And that's just not true. Off topic in sports real quick. Mm-hmm. There is a uh, a great, I don't know, I want to call it a quote, like a rant by J.J. Redick last year in the NBA playoffs when the Lakers got ousted from the, the playoffs by the Nuggets. And everyone's talking about the Lakers still. And he's saying, what are we doing to our sport? We're like kind of cannibalizing our sport. Or we're overly putting all our eggs in one basket. Like um, we're not caring about enough narratives here. I think of that as an analogy for this season and the media complex surrounding players like Aaron Rodgers. And actually, I have no problem with Aaron Rodgers. I thought he was actually uh, more charismatic than I assumed from the outside or from his interviews on this. He's kind of like he's a weird mixed bag. Like uh, as everyone knows, he's a bit cosmopolitan yet he's a bit of conservative like he's a bit like of a cowboy to me and then he's a bit of like a a city playboy like he's got new york and like wyoming in him to me i mean he's from you know california so people think california boy there's a very funny part with him and leaf schreiber Mm -hmm. where he they're talking about his roots in california and he's from chico right he's from a suburb of sacramento and leave is like oh did you grow up surfing and he's kind of pushing it and Aaron's being tactful and polite, but he doesn't tell him like, I live like three and a half, four hours from the ocean. Like I lived in a shithole. That's basically red. It's like Bakersfield or Palmdale. You know what I mean? He uh-huh. lived in like a Republican conservative backwater California city. So it's, it's to me, it's perfect for him. Like he's someone who can rock the handlebar mustache, then rock the kind of hipster beard. Like he's half hipster, uh-huh. <laughs> half red. Like he's all these like dualities to me. He's both highly scientific and intelligent and filled with conspiratorial nonsense. He really is. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of like these seemingly contradictories and they're a little hard to reconcile. But at the end of the day, he does feel kind of stoic, kind of calm, kind of chill. I don't know. I think he feels like kind of a, a cool dude, an interesting leader. You do. I don't know if it's by osmosis or by just like being pummeled with it, but you do start to see like his intelligence in the game through this. Everyone's just feeding his narrative and ego so much and talking about how brilliantly he sees the field and the game and understands the schemes and so forth that as a somewhat novice of football, like I've never played myself, I just know it through being an avid fan. I I start to buy into that or subscribe to it to a degree. And you can see that he has a strong influence on Zach Wilson right away. Like if you notice the first preseason game, 
Of course, he's on. He's on, and Gary's not playing. That's okay. That's that's known, not very uncommon. But I thought it was curious that he was in like a black shirt with the headset, and just he felt like just a coach more than a player. Yeah. Most of this thing, he felt like an embodied coach, someone who was there to be a performative leader or like a exemplary model. Mm-hmm. And I even thought in the clips, he looked a little slow. He looked sometimes like so on, like like he knows it. But like in terms of like the speed of the game and the toughness yeah. of the game, the physicality of the game, it did feel like he was past his like exuberant physical prime. And to me, I mean, and it's hard because you got the red shirt on, you're doing practice, you're not going to get hit. So it was just weird. It was weird to like learn about him, to see him so closely. The little things like the anecdotes, like the UFO, I think it ca- encapsulates like <laughs> the weird space that he exists in because he actually talks about that event with a a level of detachment i feel like like when he you know i mean the anecdote of like Uh, seeing the ufo and they're near a nuclear plant and hearing the sound there's something like very like calculated and actually clinical about his recap of that right uh so it it is interesting because he's able of exuding or giving off the airs of being very pragmatic and practical but there is something a little uh, susceptible to mysticism or like the extra terrestrial, the extra sensory, the unorthodox in him, which I kind of dig too. It's kind of like, uh-huh. kind of like a corny yuppie hippie a little <laughs> bit. Anyways, what do you think about Rob? Hey, I was expecting him to like, I thought he was playing coy. He's going to lead up to. So I reached out to my friend, Tom DeLong through our <laughs> agents and Tom turned me on to all that. I thought he was going to go somewhere else with it, but now yeah. I, I like the I thought the UFO story was cool. It's very like real moment for him. Like like you said, it's one of those ones where he puts himself out there in these weird topics and stuff, and just goes all in on it and like doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has like nothing to do with like football, but it's just a standout of it. I, I thought it was again one of the better moments of of Aaron Rodgers in this show. I also again do like the part where he we'll talk about I guess right now like when Lee Shriver shows up on set and he's literally like the only one who's excited for him. It seems like he's the only one who actually watches Hard Knocks. Maybe the younger your generation's like, oh, you know, they don't they don't do HBO, I guess, right? But he's the only one who's like stoked that Lee Shriver's here, and everyone else is kind of like they don't necessarily want to go over him because they're afraid of him because he's too big of a star. They honestly don't really know who he is. I think they just don't want to pop Aaron's bubble, and so like it's really funny him trying to go get him. just go over there and talk to him, man. He's all dressed up. You're going to ruin his day. That that seemed like the playful Aaron Rodgers. That that was that was pretty cool. But you don't really get to see a whole lot of that in this. I mean. A, a cool comparison Aaron Rodgers would be J.J. Watt, I think, from the Cardinals as well. Oh, okay. He f- he feels like one of, to use the same word I just used, a veteran of the league. Like in all the games, the refs are talking to him. He knows everybody. He has to give a million handshakes anytime he walks into yeah. a stadium. And what I came away from this thinking was he handles that very well, as most of them do. But I always found him more aloof in his public appearances then he came off here he's a little reticent he's able to hold a sort of silence with people yeah but i don't feel like that silence actually is a sign of coldness i actually feel like it's a sign of intimacy like he feels like he's able to just hold space with people because then he'll like throw a funny quip suddenly um and there's something about being able to just chill in even negative space and then like give someone a pat on the back and then say something cordial and had had your own way and have a like a small little moment and he had so many of those in this that i was slightly impressed i thought that he was way more of a suitable ambassador for the game than i actually thought i thought he always came off as a little arrogant and like he had a weird chip on his shoulder even though he was the chosen one Mm. um and i think he's a little humbled and out of his element here 
being in a new city. I mean, he's getting mo- he got a monster paycheck, and, and mm. one can sense that he feels the expectations on him that that has given him a, a little bit of a youthfulness, at least just like in his personality in that preseason, yeah. because he's out of his element. He has to make new friends. You know, in Green Bay, he was so ensconced for so long that I think it's easy to become calcified and rigid and a little obdurate and sheltered and closed in and shut off in all of those ways to describe someone who's a little standoffish. And I felt he came off as more agreeable on this than in some previous interactions I've seen him in. But as we mentioned, he's old, right? For a quarterback. He's not Tom Brady old, but he's getting there. And that was one of the running jokes of the, of the season, right? Was that all the players were like, oh, I used to watch you, you know, when I was a little kid at home or, you know, these people grew up watching him. And even today I was watching game day uh-huh. uh, game day is a college show on Saturday mornings that kind of kicks off the day. And they had a clip of him sitting there with the team because they were celebrating Lee Corso, who's a He's an icon. He's like a John Madden like figure of college football. And every game day, he puts on a mascot head, and he put on his 400th head today. And he's so old; he's almost he's almost senile. I, I don't I don't want to say that in a mean way, but like yeah. you know what I mean. He's like I'm just so impressed that he's still doing it. And it was really touching, but it was crazy to see like this old footage they shot in this montage of Rogers. And I was like, that is so long ago. He has been around for so effing long. He yeah. was at my school. He was at Cal before I was there. And college feels like a pretty long ways in my rearview mirror. So <laughs> that just put it into perspective again. He's been around for a while. But here we are kind of getting caught in the same trap of the season, talking too much about Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk about some of the coaches. And specifically, probably one of the most mm, funny reveals in this for me, because I didn't really follow that closely to the team in the offseason, was seeing Nathaniel Hackett as the quarterback's coach or the offensive coach, whatever he is. I thought, what a disconnect or an incongruous representation, depiction of this person compared to what I thought watching the Denver Broncos games last year. That's all I'll say. Like, <laughs> as a head coach, he couldn't be any more paralyzed by stage fright, in okay. my opinion. Like, he looked fraught with anxiety and apprehension Mm -hmm. and just kind of like a deer in the headlights and then here he just seems so casual and Uh, calm nonchalant just going about making jokes talking about austin powers dude's obsessed with gold member (laughs) kind of funny he's kind of a goofball he's kind of annoying he's kind of a dad you know i'm like a corny dad but for one, he, he stuck out to me. He seemed like the complete polar opposite of what I expected when yeah. I was watching the, the Broncos. I think really his, I guess you want to call it his style, his way of giving like mojo to the team or whatnot was kind of more effective. It looked like it was more effective than what Sala was doing in terms of, it's like, what I mean, is the head coach's metaphors don't land. Let's be, let's be honest. I don't think anyone was like stoked. They were like, it was not like the Detroit Lions when Campbell gave a speech, like, I wanted to go run through a wall. Like, I want to kick a door down. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not even playing football. I'm like, let's go kick something, right? Like, Sella just feels like he's trying to construct a really good essay and doesn't get the conclusion right. He's not leaving you with something to really think about. You think he left, left you with something to, like, consider, but it doesn't add up. It's like my point. His metaphors don't add up. Whereas, like, the simplicity of, like, gold member, like, knowing some gold member references and celebrating the gold zone gets people more stoked than hearing about, you know, 
of crow pecking on an eagle and the eagle taking it up in the sky. They're like, why the fuck are we hearing about eagles? We're jets. You know, I'm sure like that was probably a line I'd imagine in a bunch of reviews on the uh, this first episode. Everyone's thinking, like, my first thought was like, why the fuck are we talking about the eagles, <laughs> right? When we have fucking planes that drop bombs and shit. We, you know, we, we can make some cool metaphors with that is my point for football. But he doesn't do that. And it's, it seems like such a missed opportunity Whereas the other, like you said, the offensive coach is is so like likable because he's a dork. And like, I, I forgot he's the head coach of the Broncos because he doesn't give off head coach energy at all. He gives off total like assistant coach, like almost like uh, equipment boy vibes at times, right? I don't say I question the, re- the level of respect because like he seems to be like landing because the team talks about what he talks about. That's one of the one of the better like uh, B-roll is them talking about um, Leslie Nelson and trying to explain to each other, like, you know, the Naked Gun series, right? These, like, this really dated movie, though, they're trying to explain. You see it working, though, because it's getting them to talk and, like, build these dumb bonds and, like, just communicate. Whereas no one is talking about that metaphor. No one's dissecting it. No one's talking about, like, you know, it doesn't come up in the locker room speech. Uh, It doesn't become, like, a mantra in any way. Yet, weirdly enough, Goldfinger is a mantra for this team, right? I thought that was really interesting. So maybe he found the right role, right? Because, like you said, like head coach wasn't his thing. Maybe he needs to be more of a like players coach in a sense as a players coach, like a cheerleader kind of, versus like Urban Meyer, who's like a players coach who's like stern, respectable, but like will have your back when push comes to sub. Yeah, it's telling. Some people fit a head coach position, and some people just don't, right? And like he's obviously good as an assistant. I mean, Stella and, looks like he'll still wreck you. We saw him run those steps. Like, that's a head coach you don't really want to talk back to. Exactly. Uh, the guy who's given some gold member references you might want to joke with. <laughs> the thing about Robert Sala, too, is uh, I came away impressed, uh, as you said yourself. Uh, but I also found his speech <laughs> to be corny. It felt like an eighth grade essay devised <laughs> by Spark Notes and improperly suited for their team. And I was almost wondering... Do the producers of Hard Knocks proposition him to write it? It feels like so much of this fits into the template. And I'm trying to always figure out, is it the ritual of every team? Are they all just kind of copying each other as most companies do and organizations do? Because we're quite uncreative as human beings and we like to fit into molds. But something about me was like, are they actually just regurgitating a sort of, not a script per se, but are they being given sort of dictates or, or at least nudges? by the Hard Knocks team. Like, hey, are you going to have your freshman talent show? Because that's a huge part of Hard Knocks and it's always good entertainment and it's good team building. Do you have a great speech for the first, you know, like meeting with the team? It just feels like they're pre-engineered at times now Mm -hmm. that I've seen a few. I think that's another part of it was like the Lions for me was my first Hard Knocks introduction. So it felt a lot more intuitive and organic. And now I'm like, hmm, it all feels a little rehearsed. It feels like kind of like The Bachelor. You know how you watch The Bachelor? Yeah. And they're they're falling into the same uh, paradigms and archetypal roles. And they have the same conversations. And side note, this is hilarious. I'm watching the show How To With John Wilson. His guy just goes around with the camera meeting weird people. And he met a guy who's watched like thousands and thousands of hours of every Bachelor episode to create like a spreadsheet on all the different strategies that they use to get the rose. I don't watch it, but it was just someone who was like trying to like turn it into like quantum physics and like decode the rules of the game. (laughs) And I thought like it it was brilliant, but in the sense of like, it shows how tropes are formed in reality TV. So I think it kind of does fit on what we're talking about here in a weird way. Sorry for that tangent, but I thought it was just too apropos. I saw it literally this morning. The other thing that I feel like was apropos right now for our conversation was 
you're talking about, we don't see anyone get cut, right? If you're going to show the groovy, the, the happy, the the exciting of the players making it, you can't have the sweet without the bitter. Like, yeah. we, we got to see the player talk to the camera for a second after, you know, getting cut. We got to see that conversation, that tough conversation. And it's like, did Robert Salah say no? Like, I thought that was some of the greatest moments in the Lions one was how well Dan Campbell handled those hard conversations of cutting someone. Um, I also yeah. didn't like that Robert Salah basically took the second fiddle on those. Like he didn't say a word. He just let this other dude, I don't know. He, I'm sure he's assistant of some sort, but not a prominent assistant. Yeah. They everything in that. And uh, that's why it's so important. Cause like you said, every coach has a different style. Like some are detached. And that, I agree with you. Like going back to like your point, like that every season starts off with a big speech. I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. There's some old school dudes who probably want you to like earn your time to talk to a coach. You know what I mean? Like there's some all sorts of methods out there, you know, team building and all that. And like, I agree. I, I think that's like another aspect of that, of it, of it kind of being like a little overly produced in some ways. And what I was going to connect this, this lack of seeing that cut was that on coach prime, the Dion doc mm-hmm. on, on prime, there's a crazy scene where this player is being a, I don't want to get too into it because we're not covering, but like a distraction, the team and a detriment to the team. And they have an entire team meeting, every single player, like 70, whatever kids or whatever. And he literally asked them, stand up if you want this player on the team. Stand up if you want him kicked off the team. Players in the room. Wow. Bunch of players stand up saying they want him off the team. And Dion looks him square in the eye and says, sorry, bud, you got to go. There's yeah. the door. It was like brutal. I think it was actually like not the most diplomatic way of handling that. But I would say this. It was great TV. I was just like, uh-huh. holy crap. This is like tribal old world archaic decision making on the collective and it was just mesmerized my jaw was to the floor i was like <laughs> what he's doing it this way like this is some black panther shit like in the sense you know like how they fight it and they duke it out right. in the waterfall this is unique this is a uh, unorthodox and i was kind of on board Dion's a cool juxtaposition too to robert salah because Dion's a open book like you know Dion. he's loquacious he's vivacious he's filled with life I mean, he doesn't ever not say what he's thinking and he's eloquent as fuck. Like he's so, he's growing. He's kind of like always spewing wisdom. He's like a suave Yoda figure in a crazy way. Like he, he's funny because he comes off as like the, the Terrell Owens or the uh, Dennis Romick, you know what I mean? Kind of like a Playboy yeah. Flash, but actually he's more of a sage than that, like a party guy. He's a little bit of both though. That's why he's he's the full package. Whereas Robert's the law is an enigma to me. And I think he seems like a great coach and he has such a presence. And I love his smile. I love like when he gets stoked, you could see it. I think he's an anchor for the team and I think they're in good hands. But he's he's quite laconic. Like he doesn't say a lot. What's on his mind, there's like a, a sequence where he drives to the stadium and they like put some cool music and turn it black and oh, yeah, white. Do you like the Sopranos, right? They've, yeah, the Sopranos like intro. Illusion. Yes, it's a cool reference. Yeah. This one had a lot of fun stuff like that, by the way. I, I thought this one had some cool cinematic techniques. Like even when the players walked down the hallway, when they didn't get cut, the two that made it, they had a cool voiceover and a way of shooting that. When Aaron Rodgers walks out on the field for the very first time and the cloud's cheering, the camera's falling in a way that felt very, like right behind his shoulder, that felt very like Aronofsky and the wrestler. It felt very cinematic at times in the season. And with the voiceover from, you know, Lee Schreiber and so forth, I thought that it was, it was a well put together package just on a visual auditory standpoint. <laughs> but the thing about Robert Salah, though, is I just... I don't know what he thinks. He has a bunch of kids. We see his kids one time at practice. He has all this like 
potential for personality to get to really like know who this this guy is. I don't even really know his backstory after watching this. Dan Campbell, we got his full backstory, like his military, Texas A&M, all the whole nine yards. Like, I don't know who he is, to be honest. You could fill in some blanks. I don't know. I don't know what you're reading on him is. Like, I, Pretty much I dig, yours. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, dig his vibe. I dig his I vibe. I didn't learn anything new about him. I'll say that. <laughs> he, he has the look. He has the confidence just naturally. But I didn't see anything that like told me like, oh, he's got it all going on in his head, like, you know, between the ears. He, he's not as effusively emotional either as Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell like nearly cries yeah, every time. Like, he gives- let's just bring it to this season. Like Dan Campbell, someone you wait for for some quotes because he has good quotes. Like the Patrick Mahomes one, they're like, what'd you learn from beating the Chiefs? He's like, I didn't learn anything. I just confirmed what I already knew. Right. Which is like in his voice, I can hear him saying it like with such boisterous confidence, right? Like, Sella, you don't really expect expect that from, at least I don't expect that from this one, right? Because we've seen him try to do a speech thing and then like we talked about, it didn't really land. Whereas, whereas like with Campbell, they didn't always land, right? But their delivery was like such passion and earnestness that like you could take it at face value. What do you think about the mentalist? That was a trip. Oh, I forgot about that part. Yeah. Yeah, that was another one that seemed very like too geared towards the theme, right? Too on the nose again, I feel like for, for what is trying to like portray, like the mysticism is trying to portray, like, again, kind of speaking, like we kind of talked about with Aaron Rodgers and that realm of, of otherworldness and the inexplainable, right. But they really tie into the factors of what the athletes need to do to set the scene for that. Right. Like, again, it felt like a really incomplete, like comparison or lesson, right. Because these are all supposed to be like group building activities, right. If you're thinking about this from like a workplace perspective, which is, which is this team building, right. And I don't get the point of team building when someone just comes and predicts what you expect to some degree, like the Super Bowl predictions, like some of the card tricks and stuff like that, where those are cool for sure. I love the reactions of the players. Like some of the close-ups they got of their faces were priceless. The dudes are just like jaw drop. Like what the, like, yeah, you definitely got that, like the performance landed when they filmed it. Right. But I didn't like the way it was cut. Was, I think that was just the one thing. It just it didn't like give anything to it. It was a cool little trick, but like forgot all about that part. <laughs> like completely forgot all about that part. Uh, but yeah. like the main thing I remember about it, though, was just it was more for comedic value, I felt, than for anything. Because the comedy was just watching about how the players responded to what the guy was doing. Yeah, it felt once again like smoke and mirrors, um, mm-hmm. like spectacle, like entertainment, along with the sort of Broadway motif. Like early on, they were talking about Broadway out of practice. And I found that very entertaining at that point. Like, oh, this is really cute for lack of a better word like these football players talking about like which broadway shows are seen over the summer but then when they all go to the broadway it felt planted i don't know if it's because like the producers and editors have eagle eye vision and they're just filming everything so they're like hey we're going to use that to to plan it narratively and it organically happened or if it's a little bit of like there is some sort of coordination about. It felt like coordinated based on the way they're talking about it. Because it felt like this is something a few of the guys actually do mm-hmm. and other guys don't. It felt like something they're talking about they're going to do. Like that same with the Car- Charcucci board or whatever. It felt like, oh man, at the end of this thing with Hard Knocks, we get to go to this Broadway show. It felt like that is what the conversation was like spurring out of, but it definitely wasn't framed that way. At least that's the sense I got when you actually you see them all in Broadway. Like the ones who were actually stoked were pretty stoked. Some of them seemed like they're just there because it was a mandatory team activity, to be honest. Like you see something like, oh, yeah, this is cool. I would, but like, you're like, it's just another fucking thing we have to do. Um, so yeah, yeah, I feel like it's kind of like a combination of it. I think there is a section of the Jets who actually really do like Broadway and probably go to that. But I think that's kind of like the the pitching point, if you will, in, in the writer's room to to get those to get that episode. 
Yeah, it almost felt like it was a marketing tie-in with the Michael Jackson Broadway, like especially yeah. with them hanging out after doing the moonwalk. It felt very, once again, I keep saying this over and over, rehearsed. I could see the gears and strings being pulled behind the scenes a little bit. And it's a bummer because like, for example, cue ball, right? Quinnen mm-hmm. Williams, the guy who gets a huge contract on the defensive lineman. He's a beast. You know, they were saying Monday Night Football, this team might rival the 85 Bears. At least the coaches are saying that. That's some heavy hype. We hear that every year when a team goes 3-0, that they might rival the, uh, what is it, the 82 Dolphins. And if any defense is half good, like legit, we have to bring up how they might compare to the 85 Bears when it's usually always hyperbole. But they're solid. They're very good. As you noted earlier, like, why didn't we learn about them a little bit more? But I found him extremely funny like he seemed like a goofball when mike <laughs> evans calls him fat in the preseason game oh, yeah. he doesn't let it go and he's just asking everybody he's like am i fat i thought i lost some weight i thought i lost some weight this offseason right he's like that hit home <laughs> like he's truly funny he's got that natural gift and mm-hmm. i was just like why did we not get more of him Shout out to the most awkward cameo to me was our our boy the karate kid ralph macchio showing up oh, yeah. In the credits, they threw him in the credits too. Yes. Shit. Um, talking about an old sensei, right? A, a cool shout out to Mr. Miyagi he gives in his little speech, right? He says, An old sensei of mine once said, You need to find balance. The funniest part, he says, Effing, right? And they were like, So what? Like, they all uh-huh. took a umbrage to the fact that he was scared to curse as a New Yorker. And instead of saying fucking, right, he says, I know what you're fucking talking about. He, he played it off well as a, as a save when they called him out. And then we had like, him and Rogers talking about dancing with the stars. You know, you get Rogers as a celebrity when he's hanging out with Lee Schreiber. You can see him, he hobnobs with, you know, people in media, in the yeah. entertainment industry, in the film industry. He fits in naturally with them. And so he's just a little more networked than the other players. And everyone's kind of excited and also interested in seeing him. You know, he's the guy who dated Shailene Woodley. You know, he's in the tabloids. He the paparazzi chases him around a bit. You know what I mean? So when those people show up, he's on the same strata of celebrity in American culture. So it makes sense. But it, I did find it intriguing that he's also kind of a weirdo. His whole thing with the grass and picking the grass and throwing in the air to see the way the wind's blowing and smelling the grass. His talk about footwork, his execution. He often seems like he's blaming others or diffusing or deflecting responsibility, which I think is a poor quality of leadership, but he's often doing so in a way that is impressive insofar as he's also giving very technical, savvy, on-point advice. So it's hard to call. I was thinking the same thing because he's earned the right to, like I'll say, kind of be a diva. mm -hmm. Like, and I'm not saying he's like, he doesn't throw like a fit per se, but like he's the type of competitor who does get angry and it impacts his performance. And he's been given like the room to like, just leave. Right. And then when he recoups, he's able to just like critique. And that's kind of funny. I think it was a Zach Wilson where he's like, number 17, come step in my office. Right. Is <laughs> Zach Wilson like, he kind of had like, you know, he's kind of trying to like diffuse the situation. But like, I remember the advice he gave him was very solid. Like, it was like a 100%, like, you know, this is what we need to do to make this play work. But he would have fucking yelled at him, I feel like. And it was also, we got cameras here. I can't be yelling at everybody. But yeah, he's definitely like earned that kind of balance there, like where he can get, he kind of, like you said, he gets to be a coach. Even like on the field, like uh, in the preseason games, you're going to see how like, I'm going to say friendly, but how like personal he is with refs mm-hmm. from, because like you said, he's been in the league forever, right? So, you know, the, he's like, he gets to be buddy, but he gets to be that guy who gets to like, you know, he can, he can massage a call 
by conversation, by through conversations, enough conversations with the refs, right? And you kind of see how he does that on the sidelines, like just with the headgear, which I thought was interesting. Like, this is kind of cool with him, like not being like angry on the field talking. Like you see how it's been in quarterbacks, you know, with Mahomes and Cousins, and they don't quite have that sway yet. Right. Like yeah. Mariota, nothing like for sure. Right. But uh, with, but with Rodgers, you definitely see that earned respect and like kind of the way they can, like you said, they can kind of steer the gears a little differently just based on the persona and like what they mean to the league. Even though he's past his prime, he is still a marquee part of what this league is marketing, obviously, by by given by the spectacle of this uh, hard knocks. Yeah. I mean, I see Mahomes has it in the early stages. Like he's a good smooth talker. He's a good. Like you said, with the defense, the way he tries to like mm-hmm. massage the good hits and stuff, you know, like yes, yes. it might save him an injury one day. Who knows? He knows what's up. Yes. But you can see Rodgers is also, you know, he's buddies with everyone. Like I was saying, kind of like JJ Like he knows them by name. He's goofing off at them. He's asking for clarification. Like, the difference is like yeah. JJ Watt is like the cool kid though. He's like the life of the party. Like he's the dude you want to go like hang out and have a beer with. Aaron Rodgers is like the dude you just you have to meet because he's Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Whereas AJ Watt like, dude, I met him and then we went and did this, this, and this. He was the coolest dude, probably. I'm just projecting. I think I think AJ Watt is like gives off such cool vibes. But I, I totally agree with you that he's nitpicky, right? There was a sequence where he was working on snaps with a new ball snapper center. And he was talking about don't spin the ball. And I found that cool, like how exact he was. He knew what he wanted. He didn't want the spin. It needs to land in his hand, right? There's something about the laces where he wanted the laces placed, right? When it like pops into his hand. Yep. And uh, I thought it was hilarious when they did that run and pass quiz in the study room where it's Rogers uh, footage and Zach Wilson keeps getting it right. <laughs> Rogers looked pissed. Like nope. <laughs> he looked really annoyed. It was He's mad Zach Wilson was doing his homework. Yeah. <laughs> He's no, like, this he... fool's trying to take this job. Not comfortable being the backup. And I want to just do one quick correction. Robert Salah told me I had one good speech that I forgot about. Okay. And it's the speech about contenders versus survivors versus competitors. Yeah, that was a good. A, yeah. a little cheesy, but I actually think that three tier resonated with me really strongly. Because yeah. I do think that like every strata every organization everything in life has that and what's funny is all nfl players are extraordinary right but you're still gonna fall on one of those three tiers and so i thought that that was good i feel a few players were coming back to him i think it was q-tip or you know the guy i was talking about Mm -hmm. uh, quinn and williams optimus prime i think is his other nickname oh yeah (laughs) Uh, he had the the best like quip of the show i forget he's in he's bantering with robert salah and he's kind of getting heckled i forget what it was and he was like, I'm just being a commander out here or something. <laughs> <laughs> just like putting the coach's speech right back at him. Uh, I wish I remember. It was so good. Uh, but uh, it had its moments. It had its moments, like you said, with Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb's kid watching the game wasn't uh, definitely adorable, like super mm. intense. Um, and Aaron Rodgers is the uncle figure. Just definitely rang true. You could Actually, see that. Yeah. Cobb, we didn't see a lot of Adam Lazard either, right? We just saw him get a tattoo, I think. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. And like that was such a again talking about the storyline, like the part of the trade, the pieces that had to come with Rogers for this to happen, right? That like just did not get the like I said, the attention it deserved. It, it would have been perfect for like at least one episode to kind of cover these side pieces, like all inclusively with like like I said, Cook, Cobb, because they're such good. Like Cook is moving into a new city too. I'm so interested in his story, right? You got a young running back, he's kind of competing to be the number one dude too. I want to see more about Brees Hall coming back from that injury early. Right. They didn't really talk about that at all. I get you want to keep that secret and stuff. But I mean, like you've seen hard knocks dudes dealing with injuries and they talk about their process and like, here's where I go to get my rehab so I can be here. Like, you know, that is the stuff I'm always 
really fascinated with. Again, the science of football was really absent in this one, which sucks. I just want to throw out the Jets have a really cool looking facility. I did like the idea of the wall to kind of like depict each week. This like wall they walk down to get to the coach's office. Seems like a cool idea. I don't know. I don't know how effective it would be, but like, again, kind of kind of a cool metaphor. But other than that, like it didn't seem like, you know, this like cutting edge training facility. It just looked nice. Yeah, no, I love, like you said, the same thing, that facility, that corridor Mm -hmm. uh, was gorgeous, right? Stunning facility. They let a lot of their fans come to the practices. Yeah the scrimmages. So that added another dynamic element to it. I was trying to find online and I I didn't, but I'll just say it. I felt like there was an episode missing from this that they had in the Lions. I feel like the Lions was six episodes and this maybe was five. Yeah. And I felt the exact same way, dude. I thought I I literally thought I missed an episode when we got the finale one. I felt the exact same way. (laughs) And to me, that's like maybe the missing ingredient for the whole thing. Like anyways, a little ambivalent, I would say. So I'll let you start on our final rankings. Uh, overrated or underdog for Hard Knocks? Where do you where do you put this? Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with overrated on this one. This one I can't really think of a way to like put it as like an underdog, particularly within this series. I think this is a this is just a good example. It's a kind of like a bad example of a Hard Knocks series. Like this is definitely one I wouldn't recommend. It's a good one though for them to kind of reassess and hopefully refresh it and kind of learn from these mistakes for the next one in terms of like what they what they're trying to select. But I think it's it was an overrated season. Very forgettable for me. How about this in comparison to the Cardinals one? I know the Lions one is okay. superior to it. Which one? Cardinals, for sure. Because Cardinals, again, you get a sense to some degree of like the locality of Arizona. There's way more narratives, like like you mentioned, um, forgetting who it was with the sister going to college. Um, we got more about the coach and kind of like his lifestyle. DeAndre Hopkins and his mom story was super moving. And just DeAndre Hopkins' whole scenes were awesome in, in Arizona. Again, Arizona had was not the Lions. But compared to this, there's way more to kind of like just draw from. And that was that was an interesting one, too, because, again, that was like midseason. Right. But they still like picked all the big narratives and actually gave them adequate time. And I think that was just just what was missing from this one. When we really break it down, it was like we said, too focused on Rogers. And how can we stretch Rogers into every single episode in the most ways possible? Yeah, I think I'm with you on that now that we really talk it over. Their Cardinals lucked out. I think always. You have something a little bit more enticing when you're showing in-season games. Mm-hmm. I, I love the whole aspect yeah. of seeing the rookies and the the twelfth man, the proverbial twelfth man. Uh, but it's what is it like? I don't know how many uh, players on right, roster. Is what they say? Okay, the, so the fifty third man or the fifty fourth yeah. man. I think it's fifty four or something. Yeah. In Coach Prime, Dwayne the Rock Johnson was talking about he was always the fifty fourth man. He was always like the last guy cut. <laughs> He's starting to get on my nerves, that guy. I don't know. He's talking about The Rock? Yeah. He's definitely like made it for The Rock in a while. Oh, no. He's just... Uh, every appearance now lately, <laughs> he, he's just a walking commercial for himself, and it's uh-huh. become too much. It's it's just the ebbs of a career. Like, I used to really like The Rock, but something about him in the past, like, six months. Anyways, I'm <laughs> off topic. I, I also think it's overrated. Um, it's still fine. It's entertaining. It would have resonated even more if Rogers lasted longer in the season, but in some ways it's most interesting because he didn't. So it's this like big what if, and there's quotes in it that like, if you live in hope, you die in shit. And it's like, it's so ironic that they lived in hope and ate shit. Not that their season is going to be lost. I think people are completely wrong in calling the like, I don't know the, the phrase to use here, but they're calling it like 
quits on the team and like Rodgers was just like they won the game yeah they won the game yeah <laughs> they won the game they pulled off the upset like it's kind of what we're talking about like, yeah there's a narrative that's out there but there's also that internal narrative and it speaks like the defense is like like the quote fucking uh Gannon Campbell the defense just confirmed their fucking knowledge they just we don't need fucking Aaron Rodgers we can still win games for his team with Zach Wilson against one of the best teams in the NFL if we stick to the script you know I feel like that's the message hopefully that sell is like selling in that locker room uh, yeah I think he did a great job after the game. I think he's done a really fantastic job, whether he believes it or not, in showing conviction in Zach Wilson. After the game, yeah. all of the media, all they want to talk about is who are they going to go get? What quarterback is going to end up on this team? It's also a weird thing for me because it's like every team kind of always wants the best quarterback. Why does suddenly like a team like the Jets become a team that is allowed to go get the best quarterback. It's just a weird idea. Like, they're not talking about the Cardinals like that. They need a quarterback. They're not talking about Carolina like that. And I get some teams are in a rebuilding phase and this team's here. But it's like when you put all your marbles in a guy and he gets injured, you just kind of got to live with it at that point. Like, they do need a backup, but it was weird. Like, they have enough th- Like they have enough capital and space and all this to just go get another huge quarterback. Like, yeah. they can't do that. It's, it's overreach to me. But... I think that they have easily the top three to five best defenses in the league. I think we will see Wilson will be decent this year. I mean, he's never that great, but you know, he's had a few years in him now. So that's like a big opportunity to like, this could be a year where he grows on saying he will, but if he does and shuts in silence, he's even part of the criticism. That's a huge for his career. I, I agree. And I also and think- like his viability, like given that he's now a backup quarterback and like, that road that this is a huge uh, transition. Like they built a good team around Rogers that he gets to inherit. Right. And like, obviously he's there around preseason. He knows the jets offense, you know, he's, he's part of the system. It's now, can he, can he lead it? Like, can you know, it's, it's a great second opportunity. Like, you know, it's, a, I'm really interested to see how he handles it. Cause we didn't get to see a lot of him in hard knocks, unfortunately. Uh, but he seemed like a nice dude who was eager, not really let down by the fact that he's not going to be the face of his organization. Uh, so yeah, I feel like that. Um, I'm really interested to see how he plays out. Yeah, I mean, we saw them making fun of him for wearing his like sleeves up too high. <laughs> yeah, I remember Rogers was giving him shit for his headband for whatever yeah. reason all the time, yeah. right? I love his reason, like, dude, I get sweat in my eyes. Like, it's practical. I don't know if you know, but he's like a he's a pretty big meme online. I guess he's both a Mormon and a milf hunter. Like, <laughs> he's very famous for his uh, shenanigans off the field um, that came out in the tabloids and i guess he has like a really like it soccer mom mom who's like really like present okay, i remember some of that media. when he was like a rookie uh-huh coming up in the tabloids i don't think he's great but i think that they're gonna throw the running game like at every team and they have garrett wilson as long as they could put up like 17 to 24 points once in a while they're gonna win those games and they could probably go to the playoffs and just see what happens then i don't know don't want to get too much into football talk but <laughs> calling like swan song premature um, at least in my opinion. So yeah, this was a a fun episode. All in all, a, a fun series to get the meta narrative to go into the 2023 football season. I think I think that they picked a great team. One of the more interesting things about this was the meta comment in the very very beginning of the first episode that I forget if it was an interview or something, but someone asked I think Rogers or someone why no one wants to take the show anymore. I think it was Lee Schreiber. I'm now remembering talking Aaron Rodgers, and he was uh-huh. like, yeah, we were having trouble getting a team to allow us to you know film them to to do us uh you know this series on them and he was talking about like you know people don't want the distraction but you can see that it does a lot of good for our organization too it builds hype around them builds interest which will build sales you know what i mean it it 
it has it energy. more of a chance to get those primetime games. Like, you know, what I mean, eventually, like mm-hmm. land those big primetime games just by ratings. Like you said, there's a plethora of similar hard knock shows. I think that's the reason they're having trouble getting themes is because there's more offers for different segments out there, right? You can't have every crew following these people around. So that's I think that's the other issue where I think he's kind of subtly alluding to there. Hopefully we'll get more diversified teams as we go on, but we'll not have teams turn their backs on this type of stuff because <laughs> this behind the doors footage really helps you understand the ins and outs of this world. So I enjoy that. So anyways, great episode. Um, where can people find us and just what should we ask them to send us off uh, a question to keep our audience engaged? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter, on Spotify, uh, anywhere you get your podcasts or search Cinematic Underdogs. Uh, of course, leave us a comment or review on any of those. We always like that. I don't know, this week, actually, yeah, let's, let's talk Jets. Who ends up the Jets running back at the end, end of the season, Brees Hall or Delvin Cook? Let us know in the reviews or comments. All right, cool. You threw a football question out. I'm going to throw a, a non-football question. Who gets to go on the spaceship with the aliens first? Who would they choose, Aaron Rodgers or Tom DeLong? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one.